Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. That's our text. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we're going to be talking about giving. Giving is unto the Lord. Pastor Joey uh, mentioned it briefly that uh, worship is not just singing and sermons, but a part, a, a very important part of worship is our giving unto the Lord. Giving to God. That's important in God's economy. It's all throughout His Word. And we're going to take a brief look at that this morning in chapters 8 and 9. Now, there's a lot of text here, so we're just going to look at a few verses. And uh, you can read along, first of all, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 with me. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, here in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning with verse 1. The Word of God says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging with us much, with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And also if you have your copy of the Scriptures, chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always with all sufficiency and everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are with us in this place. Father in heaven, thank you so that you loved us enough to send down Jesus, your son, to make us clean through his blood sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection power, Jesus. Thank you that you are alive now. And we just invite you in this moment to draw near to us. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you want to say to us from your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take your holy word and you would plant it deep into our hearts now. Lord, give us ears to hear and give us humble hearts that obey you. You are the living God. And you speak to your children. And we pray that we would hear your voice. Soften our hearts. Have your way in our lives individually and as a church. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In us as it is in heaven. Bless this time we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You know there, one day there was three men having a discussion. A Muslim, a Christian, and a Jew. They were arguing about the superiority of their religion. And the Muslim said, we're better than you guys. We don't just talk about God. We give alms to God. We give to the poor. And we give some money to the mosque. We don't just talk. We do. We put our money where our mouth is. And the Christian said, ha, well, you, you tip God. Well, we don't tip God. We give God 10%. It's called a tithe. If we make $100, we give 10. At least 10. If we make $1,000, we give 100 to help the poor and to the causes of God, etc., etc. And then the Jewish man said, you guys are weak. Here, you tip God. You tithe God. Us Jews, we give to God 100% of our income. We give it all to God. 
They say, how in the world can you do that? It said, it's easy. Our mighty God. We take our funds, what God gives us. We put it in our hands and we lift it up to our holy God and we release it into heaven. And what God wants, he keeps. And what he doesn't want, it just comes back down and it's for us. <laughs> we give it all to God. But all joking aside, money matters. Money matters. It, say, it says uh, money makes the world go around. And you can solve a lot of problems in this world with a lot of money, for better, for worse, and sometimes it's nasty. Money matters, but also in the kingdom of God, money matters. You know, I've heard it said that Jesus spoke more about finances and money than he did heaven and hell in the New Testament. Now, why would Jesus do such a thing? Talk more about money than heaven, why would he do? It may be for this reason, because Jesus knew that we would have a real hard time obeying him with his stuff, his finances, his money. Maybe Jesus knew that it's hard to obey God with money. Would you agree? I think it is a challenge. And this morning, we are going to look at how we can worship God with our finances. Yes, talking about tithing. It talks about tithing pre-law. In the, book, in, the, in the book of Genesis, Abraham gave to Melchizedek 10% of his spoils. During the law, they, here it comes again, tithing with the law of Moses. After the law, in the New Testament, it goes on and on. Tith, yes, tithing, given the 10%. And the offering, which is on top of the 10%. And you know, as we give to God, it's an act of worship. So we're going to look this morning in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians and see what God has to say about giving. Because giving matters. Money matters to God. And, uh, and it, it, when we look at chapter 8, we can see when it comes to giving, God loves a generous heart. God loves a generous heart. After all, He has been very generous to us, has He not? Oh my goodness. He didn't give us 10% people. How much did He give us? He gave it all when He gave His Son. And He loves a generous heart. And we see here in, uh, that he loves a one who gives sacrificially. Look in verses 1 through 3 with me. Verse 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. We see that these Macedonian believers were extremely generous. They, they were great godly examples to us. But you know, they were also seemingly low-wage workers. And maybe I, we could go on to say that they were unemployed. Verse 2 says that they were in deep poverty. Deep poverty. You know, people, in America, we don't know what poverty is. If you don't have a job, you get welfare, food stamps, and subsidized housing. And you can go to 10 different churches and get a hot meal and a bag of groceries. We don't know what poverty is in the United States. The poor are the poor are rich in other countries when we compare. But they had deep poverty here in the first century. We don't know what that's like, but they had deep poverty, yet they were generous. They were generous. And they got God's attention and approval with their giving. They were poor, these Macedonian believers, who are serving as an example to the Corinthian believers and are serving 2,000 years later as an example to you and I, they were poor in finances, but they were rich in God's grace. 
Now, why do I say that? Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again in chapter 8. What does he say? He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. The grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. That in the ordeal of the affliction, their abundance of joy and their, and their deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Do you know why they were able to give when they were so poor? It's because of the grace of God that was gripping their hearts. In verse 1, let me tell you, Corinthians, about the grace of God that is gripping the Macedonians. Do you know when the grace of God grips us, we become generous? When the grace of God grips our soul, it affects our giving. And why in their poverty were they so gracious? It's because the grace of God was gripping them. May His grace grip you and me. Amen? And they had, they had deep poverty, but they haven't had an even deeper presence of the grace of God in their lives. They're truly rich. When you look at eternity, they're truly rich. Jesus said, even when a person has much, his life does not consist of his possessions. Life isn't about money. Life is about relationships, first with God and second with one another. You want to be a happy, happy, happy person? Be really close to God and, and to your circle of friends and your family. Money doesn't make us happy down in the soul. God does. The grace of God gripped them. Jesus, when it comes to wealth, true wealth does, is not measured by how much money you have, but true wealth is measured by how much of, God, of, of your heart God has. That's a sign. It's not by dollar signs, but it's a God connection. That's true wealth. We can't take it, take it with us anyway now, can we? But we'll stand in His presence one day. True wealth. And God, He looks at the heart. He's not impressed with a $20 million donation, and God's not impressed by a $20 bill. But He is impressed by a surrendered heart. That's what gets God's attention. If you look in the Gospels, Jesus and the disciples went to the temple. And everybody was going by the treasury, putting in their gold and their silver, their silver and their gold. And the disciple says, look, Jesus, look what they're doing. He was silent. And then comes this senior citizen, elderly widow woman, tattered clothes, no doubt. And she makes her way and puts in two little copper coins. Clink, clink. And when she puts in those two worthless little copper coins, the Son of God speaks. He said, you see that woman? She gave more than all those, the rest of those people with the gold and the silver because they gave out, out of their abundance and she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. And when we give sacrificially, that gets God's attention. Amen? Or oh me. <laughs> God likes it when we give generously and sacrificially. And I'll just say this. Most of us in this house who tithe, most of us in this place who tithe, we tithe with, it's, it's, it's a surplus giving for us. I tithe, but I'm not hurting. Most of us in here are tithe, it's surplus giving. Maybe we don't get the latest Cadillac or the four-story house or mansion, but we're not hurting people. Sacrificial giving, I don't see much of that in my own life even. But sacrificial giving gets God's attention. And tithing is important, but there's other people, possibly in this house. When you tithe, it's not surplus giving, it's sacrificial giving. 
Because maybe you can just barely afford to get those bills paid. Or maybe you're in debt. Or maybe you got some problems, but you tithe anyway because you love the Lord. Because you love the Lord. And I'll tell you this. You make heaven smile. God sees it all. And God, that gets God's attention. When we give sacrificially. But in addition to giving sacrificially, it also pleases God when we give sincerely. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 together. Verse 4 it says, uh, referring, Paul's talking about the Macedonian Christians to the Corinthians Christians. And he says to them, in verse 4 he says, The Macedonians, they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. Now did you hear that? Did you hear that? The Macedonians are begging us to pass the offering plate. When was the last time we begged to have a, take up another offering in church? When was the last time we begged, can I give some more? <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever done that. But you see sincerity in their giving. You see their heart. That's verse 4. Where verse 5 goes on to say, And this, not as we had expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us, by His will. Godly given, for giving first and foremost involves giving ourselves and giving our hearts to God and to His people. And if you sum up all the Bible, it's love God and love people. And God loves it when we give with sincerity. It's from the heart. It's not just ought, I got to, and I fall into that route, I'm, uh, that category I'm afraid. I give because I love God. But, but they, you could see it in their hearts. And the giving is a matter of the heart first and foremost. And you know, when God has our hearts, He'll also have our wallets. When God has our hearts, He'll also have our, our checking accounts. It's really a matter of the heart. Giving is a, is a matter, it's a heart thing more than it is a finance thing. It is. As if we look in the book of Malachi, where God was speaking to the children of Israel, and He said, He said, He said, you're robbing me. How? In your tithes, you're not tithing. And He went on to say, and why were they not tithing? Well, read on in the Scripture. What does God say to them? He said, well, I'll, I'll tell you why they weren't tithing. They had drifted from God. It's a heart thing. It's a relationship thing. He said, your forefathers have not kept my ordinances nor my laws, and neither are you. And, you, and you, they drifted from God. Maybe they were distracted. Maybe they were sin. Maybe they were busy. I don't know what it was. But when it came to giving, they were not listening to God. And, and, and there was a separation. And God said this to them. Would, children, would you please return to me? Come close to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. See, the giving thing, it wasn't about the money. It's about the heart and it's about the relationship. It's always been that way with God. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does he need our $20 bill? Does he need our $20 million? No. But what does he want? Our hearts. He wants us to prove to him that we love him. And the starting place is 10%. It's a heart thing. God loves it when we give sacrificially. He loves it when we give sincerely. It's important to God. So we could ask ourselves this. What grips our hearts this morning? Is it the grace of God or is it some lesser thing? May it be the grace of God. And when the grace of God grips our hearts, it also <laughs> it affects our giving. It's important. We give with sincerity. 
but sacrificially, we give sincerely, and also systematically. If you look in the, uh, the, the rest of the chapter 8, there are different uh, terms used such as organized giving, or planning, advanced planning, or to prepare, you've been preparing since last year, and other br brothers were sent to them to help them prepare, and to arrange in advance. And, and also in another letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul said this to the same church, the, Cor the Corinthians. He said, on the first day of the week, let each of you put aside money as he prospers and save, so, so that when I come, I will not have to make collections. Systematic giving is important. And it's, it's important that we give to God from our hearts, but it's also good to give to God using our minds. The most important thing is, our goal is this, that we're obeying our king. Amen? Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll obey me. Yes, may we give with our hearts, but may we use wisdom and use our minds too. And systematic giving is very helpful. God loves it when we give sacrificially, sincerely, and systematically. When we look over in verse 9, we can also see that God not only uh, loves a, a generous heart when it comes to giving, but He also loves a joyful heart. And if we look at chapter 9, verse 7, we can see this. This is the most popular verse when it comes to joyful giving. Where Paul says in verse 7, Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. And that word cheerful can be, get the word, it's where we get the word hilarious from. A hilarious, with hilarity. You are like, you can't wait for that plate to come, y'all. Yeehaw! Pass the plate. Excuse me. I lived in Texas for five years. It's rubbed off on me. Hilarity. Joyful giving. It says God loves that. I wonder why God loves that. Maybe because that's how he is. God loves to give. It's more blessed to give than receive, Jesus said. He loves a cheerful giver. And as we look at the Macedonians here, we see that they were joyful. Let's look at, I'm going to go back to chapter 8, verses 1, 1 and 2 one more time. What does it say? It says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the church of Macedonia. The grace of God is strong on these believers of Macedonia. Verse 2, that in great, and a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy is evident. They had great affliction and they also had great joy. And why is that? Because the grace of God was gripping their hearts. When the grace of God grips us, it makes us generous. And when the grace of God is gripping us, it makes us more joyful, says the Lord. When, it, when God has our hearts, there, there will be more joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is, is joy. In the, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And if you look at Paul when he was in prison, possibly, possibly to be executed at any time, what did he say? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. A byproduct of God's grace in our lives is joy. And they certainly had joy. And they were, it was obvious in the way they were giving. God loves a generous heart and a joyful heart when it comes to giving. But is it easy to give, uh, to have joyful generosity? Is it easy? Is it easy to give joyfully and generously and sacrificially? Is it easy? It is not easy. Of course not. And why is that? It's because there are some enemies that, 
that can challenge our obedience in this matter. There are enemies that come against joyful generosity, and there are a couple of them I want us to quickly look at in chapter 9. And the first one is found in verse 5, where the scripture says this. It says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not be affected by covetousness. That this offering that you have promised would not be affected by covetousness. Is it possible to have Christian covetousness or greed? Is that possible? I mean, I think we're tempted with it all the time. It squeezes us all the time. And that's an en- we must beware the enemy of covetousness. And you know, there are basically two types of, of greed. Are you ready? The first type of greed is this. It's an individual, maybe they do not have money, but they spend a lot of time dreaming about it. They don't have money, but they spend a lot of time thinking about if, they, if I could, and possibly even more time thinking about that than they do their Lord. That could be a sign of covetousness or greed. A second type of individual is this. They do have the money. They got a lot of the money, and, but they won't let go of it. And they grip their money, and their money grips their soul. That's not a blessing. Even if there's millions of bucks, if it's gripping your soul, it's not a blessing. Two types of greedy, greedy individuals, types of greed that we must battle. And, and how do we overcome such an enemy? Uh, well, first of all, by the grace of God. If God doesn't help us, we're toast. We need God's help in every area of life. And in and, and, and this area as well, with generous and joyful giving. How can we overcome the enemy of greed, the sin of greed? Well, uh, Rick Warren, a very, pos- uh, very popular uh, pastor out in California, 20 to 30 members in his church. They've planted hundreds of churches all over the world. Respect Rick Warren a lot, a godly man. He said this about the grip of greed, the power. And money has power. Do you believe that? Money has power. Maybe tentacles. How do you break its grip in our lives? Well, Rick Warren, who, by the way, who gives 90% of his income to God and lives on 10%. He doesn't just tithe people. He gives 90% of his funds to the Lord and to ministries all over the world, 90%, and he lives on the 10%. And he said to break greed's grip in your life, the, the way to do it, the only way to do it is through obedient giving. The strong grip of greed can only be broken by giving to Christ. Obeying God with your finances. Obedience to Christ, obedience to Christ breaks sin's grip in our lives. In finances and all kinds of other areas. But obedient giving can break. And he also went on to say this. He said, you know, it's, all, it's great to give. First of all, when, when, I, when we give, it breaks greed's grip in your soul. That's great. In addition to that, you're building treasure in heaven. Like Jesus said, as you give, you're storing treasure up in heaven. That's a great investment, by the way. And thirdly, you get the joy of the Lord in your life. It's a win-win-win situation as we give. It break, giving breaks greed's grip. I remember when uh, I started tithing when I was 14 years old, 
And I had a little lawn business, cut some yards, and I'd say have $50, so a tithe, I'd give $5, I'd give $7 to the church, that was good. Then one week, one couple weeks, made $100, so I was a teenager, so $100, see that's 10, 12, 13, maybe 14, 13, 14. I'd give that to the church, and so that was nice. Well, then I went off to college and got a degree and got a full-time job. Now, it wasn't a whole lot because I was a youth pastor, but still it was more than 100 bucks a month. It was, so anyway, I had a full-time job, and I took that first paycheck, and it was time to tithe. And 10, 12, 13% of that check was not $15. <laughs> uh, I, was, I said, let me count, calculate that again. And it was a, man, I had to add a zero or two, or at least a zero in it. And I thought, got my checkbook out and I picked up that pen. Did you know that pen weighed 85 pounds? <laughs> I got arthritis all of a sudden. It was hard to write that first check. It was hard. You know why? Covetousness. I think it was greed in my young heart. But by the grace of God, I wrote that check and I've been writing them for about 30 years now. And I'm not rich, but I am blessed. Blessed. Can't outgive God. Cannot outgive God. And so we break greed's grip but as we give. We say, God, I love you. I love you even with the money. And uh, money makes a great servant but a horrible master. And Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You'll learn to love one and despise the other. One master. There's only one good master and his name is Jesus. And he's Lord of your morality, your entertainment, and your money. At all. And when we do it God's way, life works well. It's good. We break greed's, gift, uh, greed's grip through giving. There's another, another enemy to joyful giving. It's not just greed, but also in, uh, it's implied as here in the chapter 9. And I will say that that is the enemy of short-sightedness when it comes to giving. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, in, in, in verses, in chapter 9, verses 10 to 15, it gives a lot of the blessings and results of, of obedient giving to God. And just if we look quickly at verse 11, he says this at the very beginning. He says, if you give as you've promised, as you give this generous and joyful gift, gift it says you will be enriched in everything. God, you can't outgive God. You give to God, he'll enrich you in everything. He'll give back to you for, the, for all liberality. And I just want to stop there just for a moment. Why does God enrich you? For all liberality. God blesses us, yes, because he loves us and he wants us to enjoy things. But God blesses us so that we grow in generosity and liberality and giving to others. The blessings of God were never, never, never intended to stop with us. Whether it's money, whether it's the truth of the gospel, whether it's your ability, whatever it might be, the blessings come to us so they, get, they go through us to bless this world and make Christ famous. Amen? So he gives to you whatever you have. It all 100% belongs to God anyway. And if, he, if you're faithful, he will enrich you in a lot of different ways. And he does that so that you grow more generous. Amen? That's, I think that's good. That's God's plan. But he goes on to say he'll enrich you in everything. And if we look, uh, we don't have time to go into details with these verses, but two different times it says, as you give in obedience, thanksgivings to God, they'll multiply. He says the increase of your harvest of righteousness, you'll grow in righteousness, that will increase. He goes on to say that uh, God's glory will, be, uh, be, uh, will grow in the churches because of your obedience. 
He says in verse 14 that they will yearn for you. Kingdom relationships. They're yearning for you and you love them and your relationship comes alive. Real kingdom relationships is a byproduct of obeying God with giving in everything. You know, um, when he says he will enrich you in everything, it may not be with more dollars. God knows what we can handle. It may be, for example, that your children see that you love God in every area of your life and your sons and daughters, they really start following Christ and they grow up to be godly people and you have a godly heritage. Is that a treasure? That's a much greater treasure than all the money in the world that your children love Jesus and follow him. I'll enrich you in every way, says in verse 11. I mean, it might be that other souls would be saved because you're given to God and his, the work of his kingdom. Is that more valuable than money? People being born again and saved and spending eternity worshiping Christ by our side? Is that a wonderful treasure? Might it be that as you give and break greed, as we give and break greed's grip in our heart, maybe God will replace things in our heart that, with emotional stability and love and joy and peace in our souls. Is that riches? Is that good? Oh, God does that. I will enrich you in everything, he says. And, and this is nothing new. This is nothing new. We also see this in the book of Malachi. When God said, Get, bring, don't bring a portion of the tithe. Bring the entire 10% into my house and see what I do for you. As a matter of fact, God said this one time in Scripture and one time alone. He said, test me in this. Test me and see what I'll do. And see if I don't, do not open up heaven for you and pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. As a matter of fact, you'll be blessed so much you have to pass it forward. So God says in Malachi, he says, test me in this. He says, your, your, your vines will not cast their fruit. The fruit would fall prematurely and rot sometimes. That's wasted resources. Your resources will not be wasted. They'll be harvested and used if you'll tithe to me. God told them, he said, and I will rebuke the devourer, the enemy of your soul and of your family that makes your car break down on the possibly. Or all these there's holes in your pocket all possibly. The devourer is real, but God told them in Malachi, if you'll obey me in this, I'll keep him at bay. Is that good? That's very good. When we give generously and joyfully, you know, we really cannot outgive God. And the reason why I call that this, this latter part short-sightedness is this. Because I, or possibly uh, spiritual, just, uh, I'll just call it short-sightedness. It's because of this. Sometimes, sometimes when we do not give, it's because we're trying to protect ourselves. And we're, try, we're trying to protect our things. But you know what? The opposite happens. When we're obedient to the Lord... His blessings come. And God says, bring the whole tithe. And he loves it when we give generously and we, when we give joyfully. And may we do that to the glory of his name. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you gave it all. You not only gave us the gift of life, but you gave your holy innocent son, Jesus. You gave it all. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us grow in obedience to you when it comes to the worship of, of tithing and offerings and finances, Jesus, we pray that in an increased way you would be Lord over us in this area. Lord, deliver us from anything that stands in the way of, of obeying you in this. Lord, help us move forward in obedience in this area. 
so that you're praised, so that you're pleased with this area of our lives. To the glory of your worthy name, Jesus, in your name we pray.